From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. We did one for camel milk. <laughs> so we are, we, you know what? My feeling is if you're passionate about it and it's feasible and it's agriculture, then we've crossed the biggest hurdles right there. This week, we talk with Farm Loan Officer Kathleen Walters for part two in our series, Have Sheep, Will Farm, a story about a young couple searching for their farm home. And as promised, garlic soup from Chef Arlen Llewellyn. That's coming right up, so stay with us. Last week, I talked about growing garlic. This week, we're cooking with garlic. We're joining Chef Arlen Llewellyn in the kitchen of Function Brewing. Arlen is sharing what she calls a tale of two soups. It's a garlic lover's soup. One version is vegan and the other is made with chicken. We'll be walking through the steps of the two variations somewhat simultaneously. You can zoom in on the part that matters most to you. If you get lost, no worries. We have both versions on our website. Let's get started. In both cases, we need to roast a whole head of garlic. We just have a complete intact head of garlic, and we wrap it up tightly in aluminum foil. And we're going to put that, you can either put it on a sheet pan or you can just put it straight on the rack in the oven at 400 degrees and 40 to 50 minutes. And the way to tell if it's done is to take tongs and just squeeze it, and it will have a, a nice give to it when it's all roasted. We get that going in the oven. Another early step that we're gonna do for the vegan version is to make our mushroom broth. So we have a half a cup of dried porcini mushrooms, which smells so amazing. I feel like I could, I know if, if you hate mushrooms, maybe it smells terrible, but for me, it's like the most satisfying savory smell. I thought we'd talk a little bit about my approach to making a recipe vegan. One of the things is to think about specifically how you want the flavors to come across rather than just doing straight substitutions. So somebody might look at the chicken uh, soup recipe, which came first. I've made this um, at a restaurant several times and say, oh, well, you should just substitute vegetable stock for chicken stock. But in my experience, vegetable stock is not always a great substitute. Depending on the context, it can taste very muddied because chicken stock, beef stock, while they have vegetables, those are so in the background. And the stock itself is bringing a very strong, specific meaty flavor. So in this case, I would much prefer a very strong meaty flavor of a mushroom rather than the complex and, as I said, sometimes muddled flavor of a, of a veggie stock. So. We're just going to make our own mushroom stock, although you can certainly buy mushroom stock concentrate in the soup aisle at the grocery store as well. So I have a half a cup of dried porcini mushrooms. I'm going to just add three cups of boiling water to it. And you want this to hang out for at least half an hour. Wouldn't hurt for it to go at least for, for an hour or more. At a minimum, you want the mushrooms to become really plump and the, the water will become a nice brown color. That is the mushroom stage on the meat side. Uh, we, th at this point, we would also get a bone-in, skin-on chicken breast going in the oven, uh, roasting at 375 to 400 degrees for, depending on the size of the chicken breast and how efficient your oven is, you're looking at 30 to 45 minutes approximately. So those are the early stages. If you were making soup for dinner, you could do this in the morning if you wanted or the day before and then just refrigerate these components because this stuff does take a little bit longer. Everything else is gonna come together much faster. We can fast forward in time 
In the case of both soups, we're going to be dicing up um, some Yukon Gold potatoes. And you're just cutting these into pieces that would be appealing to you in a soup. Once we have diced up our potatoes, we're going to put them in a nice big soup pot with our broth. Um, in the case of the chicken soup, we just have chicken broth, so it's pretty straightforward. We'll just put the potatoes in the pot and then pour in three cups of chicken stock. Get the lid on it and bring it up to a boil on medium-high. As soon as you reach a boil, you're going to turn it out to medium-low and let it simmer until the potatoes are just starting to become fork tender. You don't want to overcook them or the potatoes will be really mushy and then they'll sort of fall apart in the soup. The mushroom stock, we have one step first, which is that we need to pull these mushrooms out of the, re of the water that they've been rehydrating in. And we just want to chop them up. So we'll set those aside. Chef Arlen says there's often some grit from the dried mushrooms that settles on the bottom of the bowl, and you don't want that in your soup. So we just want to pour it carefully rather than just dumping it, and the sediment will mostly stay at the bottom. And we'll just have to sacrifice the last couple tablespoons of broth in order not to transfer all that grit. So we'll put a lid on that, and same thing, we're going to bring it up to a boil on medium-high, and then once a boil is reached down to medium low and let it simmer until the potatoes are just starting to become fork tender. So we have our potatoes cooked in stock that have become fork tender. And then to add to those, we're gonna be adding cream cheese, eight ounces of cream cheese. We have a nice vegan cream cheese for the vegan one and a traditional dairy one for the chicken soup. Lots of vegan cream cheese options out there to choose from. My favorite is Kite Hill. It's gonna be bringing a lot of body and richness to the party. We're gonna ladle out approximately a cup's worth of the broth and potatoes into a metal or glass bowl, as well as our roasted garlic cloves. So because we started with a full intact head of garlic, we're gonna to have to squeeze out the cloves now, but that is, I find personally very satisfying. You end up with this really gooey, sticky, very savory garlic mixture that just wants to pop out of the cloves when you apply pressure to it. If you don't have an immersion blender and you have a blender that can handle the heat, you can just ladle this straight into your blender. And then we're gonna add our cream cheese to this mixture. So this is how we're getting some body in the soup because the, these potatoes are gonna blend up with the cream cheese and create a nice rich base which we will stir back into the rest of the soup. I don't know about you, but immersion blenders are like my favorite kitchen appliance. Although the challenge is definitely when you're using a smaller amount like this is to try to make sure you keep the immersion blender immersed because if it gets a little too high most of the brands have holes on the side and you could end up shooting hot liquid up. So you do want to make sure that you have kind of a small bowl you tilt it to the side um, and you stick your immersion blender all the way in. If you're concerned about this at all again you just use a traditional blender. So now that we've blended the cream cheese, potatoes, and the broth, we're just gonna stir that right back into the rest of the soup mixture. And now we have a nice creamy soup that's still brothy as well. And then to this, again, we're working on the vegan version that we have blended with the part of, with the cream cheese and the roasted garlic. And now we've combined it back together. We're going to add two and a half cups of broccoli florets so we're gonna add that to our still warm 
soup that's been blended with the cream cheese and roasted garlic. Uh, as well as the broccoli, we're going to add our rehydrated mushrooms. Uh, we're also gonna chop up some, I have cremini mushrooms here. You could use portobello mushrooms or any wild mushroom you have. You're just gonna slice these up into pretty small slices. And that will go in as well. And we want half a head of minced garlic cloves. So I wasn't kidding around when I said this was a garlic lover soup. We want this to be uh, vampire proof and great for your immune systems, especially in cold and flu uh, season. This is not a starter garlic dish. And then we're gonna add a pound of shelled edamame. And these are the green soybeans, which can be found in the frozen food section. Just make sure you get the ones that are removed from the shell. There's no reason to thaw them, just add them as they are. They'll bring texture and some extra protein. And edamame has a nice little snap to it, so. Looks good too. Yeah, there's lots of green poking out from the broccoli and the edamame. Um, again, during cold flu season, that's particularly nice to see some green going on. Allow the soup to simmer until the edamame is heated through and the broccoli is tender. Five to ten minutes. Uh, then you're just going to season to taste with salt and pepper. Uh, we're going to add salt to taste and a generous amount of black pepper to round it out. And now back to the chicken version of this garlic lover's soup. We still need to finish that one. We've removed our lid from our soup pot that has our potatoes and chicken stock simmering in it. Potatoes are nicely fork tender. We're going to turn off the heat for a moment and then we are going to ladle out a cup or two of the potatoes and the broth into a heat proof metal or glass bowl and we will blend it with cream cheese and then the roasted garlic that we squeeze out of the roasted garlic head. And once we've blended that with an immersion blender or in a traditional blender, we'll stir that back into our soup. And to our soup, we will now add uh, two and a half cups of broccoli florets. And we'll put the lid back on it and let it simmer about five to 10 minutes. At that point, we're gonna turn off the heat completely and we're gonna add in all the shredded or chopped chicken meat that we pulled off that chicken carcass earlier. I don't want to add it before this because I don't want the chicken to overcook. It's already fully cooked and hanging out in a simmering broth is just going to dry it out. And then we're going to add salt and pepper to taste. Again, we didn't season earlier because we wanted to taste the whole thing together. And the chicken stock and the cream cheese will have already added some salt. So we're going to taste that and see what else it might need. So there you have it. A garlic lover soup prepared two ways, one vegan and one chicken. These recipes come from the kitchen of Function Brewing, where Arlen Llewellyn is the chef and her husband, Steve Llewellyn, is the brewer. Check out both of these recipes, as always, at eartheats.org. We gave both of the soups a taste. That is some intense garlic. I think because some of it's fresh or, you know, hasn't been cooked for a really long time, it's really got an intensity. Right. But not that raw garlic bite, I don't think. It's... It is, it's very garlicky, but it um, isn't that sharp. It's just really pronounced. And then in the background, you definitely get some of that roasted garlic caramelization, which brings a sweetness, creaminess from the cream cheese. That was the chicken one I was just trying. I'm gonna try the vegan one now. The vegan one is definitely still very garlicky. It's also very mushroomy. And just, a, I think it pays homage to that earthy, um, robust flavor of the mushrooms. Um, so they're, it's interesting that they have so many ingredients in common, but they are such different soups. They are both really good. So if it were me, I would do this one, but I would use real cream cheese. So I would make a vegetarian, but not right. a vegan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
That makes sense. Let us know what you would do. And if you try either of these soups, drop us a line. We'd love to hear how it turns out. Email us, eartheats at gmail.com. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio and insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rash Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838. Earlier this year, we launched a series about a young couple getting started in farming. You might remember Brett and Lauren. They have a flock of Jacob sheep, a small breed with long horns and a distinctive voice. Their flock got started from a wedding present. Yep, they asked for farm animals. They got some farm animals. The thing was, they didn't have land of their own. They were renters, which meant they ended up moving their expanding flock from one farm to another, in the back of a minivan, no less. And when the second lease was coming to an end, they decided to try for some land of their own. In the first episode, we heard about Lauren and Brett's connection with the work of farming, their motivations and their dreams for Three Flock Farm. And they talked about some land they had set their sights on and their application for an FSA loan. This week, in part two of our series, have sheep, will farm. We speak with Kathleen Walters for more insight into the FSA loan process. I'm Kathleen Walters and I work with the Farm Service Agency and I'm a farm loan officer. FSA is, we are an agency of the USDA and our, we're farm, the Farm Service Agency. Our focus is a little different than a bank's. We're, our programs are designed to help small farmers get started or young farmers get started where they may not have the equity that they uh, necessarily need for a commercial bank. We do a lot of smaller loans. We have a microloan program that's under $50,000. A lot of times commercial banks have a hard time making that profitable so, so that we're kind of that pickup area. We don't compete with banks. If you are strong enough to get a loan from a local bank, then that's where we send you. On the whole, all of our interests are lower than commercial banks. We have a lending limit to $300,000 for uh, farm ownership and then a separate $300,000 for like equipment and uh, let's say to put your crop in for the year. Kathleen works with all kinds of farmers, but she specializes in small-scale operations and specialty crops, organic farming, vegetables and fruits, maybe some aquaculture, or even flowers. 
I asked Kathleen about the specific requirements for these types of loans. We have to be able to collateralize it. We are still under that umbrella, and managerial experience is important. We, we want to see that you've, you've thought it through, and maybe you've done it at a small scale. For instance, I have one up in my area that does uh, pumpkins, and they started with six acres, and they worked the bugs out of it and uh, tried to figure out we're ready to go to close to 50 acres, and then they needed us. And so then we can pick up, we do an annual operating line for them. That's where we kind of come in, where you've tried this on your own and on a little small scale. One of my, the couples that we closed alone with last winter were doing it in their backyard. You know, they were raising vegetables and selling them at the farmer's market, and they were ready to move and have a big enough place where they could do it more full-time. It's not full-time right now. They both still have jobs, but they're working towards that. That's what their ultimate goal is, and that's kind of what we look at. The, the most important part is if you have an idea about it, come sit down with a loan officer. Even if it's two years before you really are ready to do it, and kind of work through, well, here's what we can do in the, in the meantime to make it, uh, you know, fly through better. <laughs> right. And like you're saying, if they have a chance to try it out for themselves, both to see, do I even like doing this? Right. Can we do it? What all's involved? Because when you're just thinking about it, you don't really know what it's like. Yes. Right. And uh, what kind of problems you might encounter. And You know, organic farming and a lot of the uh, producing fruits and vegetables is a lot of hard work. And you can tell that the people that I work with are truly uh, committed to it and have a passion for it. And that goes a long way to knowing that this is, they're going to have setbacks. Everybody has setbacks. But the thing is that we have a plan. We did one for camel milk. <laughs> So we are, we, you know what, my feeling is if you're passionate about it and it's feasible and it's agriculture, then we've crossed the biggest hurdles right there. So I've been hearing that uh, the average age of farmers in, in the United States is around 60. There is an aging farming population. And so as part of what's happening with these government programs is to encourage young farmers to get started and try to move some of those barriers out of the way? Right. Uh, and it does do that. And, and most of my borrowers are are fairly young. So you serve beginning farmers, but also can help if somebody, like you said, gets in a tight spot. So they may be an existing farmer, but they've you know had a bad season or need some new equipment because something has failed or right. whatever, and they, they need a, a loan. Or there could be this one piece of land that came up for sale right with them that may not ever come up for sale again that's perfect for them, but they're not quite financially where they need to be at that point in time. Lauren and Brett went to talk to Kathleen about the first piece of land they found. They weren't able to agree on a price with that seller, so it fell through. They are a young couple that I know that they have had a real passion for farming when they got married five years or so ago. They asked for agricultural wedding gifts, and they, they got some, some livestock for that. They received some sheep, and they started to build their herd, and they have been, over the years, building their, their herd up, and now they're ready to, to actually sell. They've been kind of trading up to this point their, their meat for some other things, you know, and now they're ready to, to go forward. And they, they uh, put the time and effort in to come up with a business plan, and plans always change, but you, you need to have one, you know. And uh, 
So they found this other piece of property up near Ellettsville and was actually a better fit for them. So waiting was a good thing. And uh, we haven't completely got the loan finished, but we're getting there. <laughs> so so uh, we're in the, it's approved, but we just have a, I say that approval is one spot, then there's a marathon to closing <laughs> because there's a lot of financial things that have to happen in the background that a lot of times people don't see. And uh, I, but but there are a couple that are excited about good quality food, and they're in the perfect area for that. And I'm confident they will be a success. So uh, uh, they're just real good people, and and we still we still uh, lend on people's character also. I mean, that that's part of the decision-making. There's some things that are very strict about what we do, and then there's some things that we are, are interpretation and, mm-hmm. and... Subjective and... Yeah. When when someone's got that passion, you, you do your best to work forward with them. Mm-hmm. That actually just brings up a, another question for me. Um, when you talk about some of those subjective areas, I know that the USDA has a history of racial discrimination in in its farm lending programs. And there have been a couple of lawsuits that that were settled. So I was just wondering if you could speak to that at all and what you know about it. Well, apparently it did happen. And, you know, just like our past, some of the things we're kind of embarrassed about. And it was more in the South. I can't say that it wasn't here in Indiana also. But uh, I think getting the right people on the ground uh, sorts that problem out. You know, we they have a lot of racial diversity training, but I think you just have to have the right people that that see each person as an individual, and uh, you know that will get sorted out. But a lot of the little behind the scenes things we do is because of those lawsuits, so that we're sure that we are not being discriminatory. So I asked what kinds of changes they had made within the agency. Apparently, they were not giving applications to people just turning them away. We take an application from anyone who wants to give us one, and then we give them a receipt for it. It's called a receipt for service. So that that we have documentation that shows that, yes, we took their application and we legitimately looked at it, you mm-hmm. know. And, and they have that proof, right, too, because right. they've been given a receipt. Right. What kinds of assurances were you able to offer to Lauren as a black woman who's applying for a loan like this? Well, the funny thing is I didn't see her as a black woman. Oh. <laughs> I just – just all I saw was someone who was really invested in this. And uh, we do have different pots of money that we pull out of. The Congress gives us a certain amount of funds to work with. And if those funds are gone – there's for veterans and for the underserved uh, population. There's a little extra pot of money there. So, so even if that's gone, we may still be able to roll that through. I know that Lauren told me when she came into the office that you said something to her about about the history of racial discrimination and that that was not going to be an issue or something. She said she just felt really reassured and, and comfortable with you that you were willing to mention that and to let her know. Well, I I may have said something, but I just remember what she said when she left. She goes, I feel really good about this meeting. (laughs) I said, well, I'm glad, you know, and uh, and I was excited to uh, to help them because it's it's kind of 
uh, from my position, I was a I was a hog farmer for thirty years before I we retired our hog farm and I went to work for uh, the Farm Service Agency. So I have that understanding about working for yourself, and uh, and and having your own goals and visions, you know, not someone above you setting those forth and, and you're kind of responsible for it. And when I see them, I get excited for them also. I mean, it has to work and I do my work to make sure that it does, but uh, I, I just get real excited for them. I wanted to hear more about some of the specific requirements for these types of loans. To get a farm ownership loan, you have to have three years of farming experience and while uh, Brett and Lauren started small, they did build that. It's also interesting to me because from what I understand, they didn't even know about the FSA program when they started. And so they were kind of building this this experience without realizing that it was going to help them in the future when they did decide to go forward with a more solid plan. Right. Sometimes I think we're the, the best kept secret. Do you feel like the program is being taken advantage of in, in the area? And do you, does all the money usually get lent? Not usually lately. Mm-hmm. But that's good to know that, like, there's money out there and right. people need to just know about it and find out if it's a good fit for them. Right. So uh, people don't know. But usually if we get into one farmer's market where one person is, it's invariably that we'll get more people from it because Unlike a lot of other businesses, it seems like to me that at farmers markets they help one another a little more than mm-hmm. than they're not quite as uh, cutthroat. One of the other requirements for FSA lending is that you need to have a purchase agreement with the seller before you apply for the loan. Brett and Lauren came and talked to me before they did, which is what I suggest. If you have uh, some type of idea of what you want to do. Come talk to us, you know, just just kind of find out the navigation of it first. And so when you do get that, you can go forward because part of our application process, unlike a lot of banks, is that we actually ask you to provide a cash flow statement and, and a projection for that following year, even if you have off-farm jobs. Because a lot of times if banks will see that off-farm job, they go, well, they'll pay for it that way. And, and we're more geared to agriculture. And so yeah, you we want to see them, the farm succeed. We want to see that. Uh, You're not just looking at, do they currently make enough money at their other jobs right. to be able to pay these payments? Right. The, the goal of the program is to expand agriculture. You want to see the farm plan work so that they can maybe start cutting back on some of that out, outside income because they're actually making income on their farming operation. Right. And I think most of the goals of uh a two-income family that come to me is to drop the income of one of the partners and have them be 100% into the production. And, you know, that that takes time. Oh, yeah. That's all we have time for today. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me, Kathleen. It's been really great to talk to you. Well, I've enjoyed it. That was FSA loan officer Kathleen Walters. Please visit the Earth Eats website to learn more about Brett and Lauren's farm dreams, the history of racial discrimination in farm lending, and about applying for FSA loans. Find us at eartheats.org. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, 
Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Kathleen Walters, Arlen Llewellyn, and everyone at Function Brewing. Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio. Studio.